Greetings, friends! Welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look and movies we love break them apart to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my friend, disturbed child, boob stabber, uh, and he who came back home, Alex Sandino. That's Right, uh, we are tonight as part of our October mega movie horror celebration. Uh, we finally hit the park, guys. This is what we were most excited about. Uh, tonight, the film alchemist returned to Haddonfield uh, to spend time with The Shape, Dr. Loomis, Laurie Strode, uh, the whole gang. John Carpenter's horror magnum opus. All right, guys, before we get started. If you like the show, and we hope you do, please take one second right now. Pause. Do it right now or keep listening. It doesn't matter. Leave us a rating <laughs> and review wherever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wait, that's right. Uh, leave us a rating and review wherever you find the show, especially if that happens to be Apple Podcast app. That does help us out a lot. We've seen a lot of you doing this on the various apps. Thank you very much. You can now see the faces that make our voices on our YouTube channel. That's Nerd Alchemist, plural, with an S at the end. So go find us there. You can email the show, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com, with your suggestions for movies, themes, double features, guests, new movies, whatever. If you want to hear us talk about it, we want to give that to you. So again, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. We're on all the social media you're on. Find us, follow, we'll talk, we'll chat, we'll share each other's stuff. It's a real hoot nanny over there. All right, enough being news. Um, Alex, I was explaining to you. Yes. Halloween is in my top ten favorite movies of all time. Mm-hmm. I've probably seen this movie more than any other movie um, in existence for me personally. Some, Even Star impressive. Wars, stuff like that. Even Highlander. Uh, those are probably like the two in the runoff. This is one of those movies I can watch it and point out. I can quote every line I feel like. I can point out every, oh, he's holding a wrench in his hand when he breaks the window. Oh, there's a John Carpenter puff of cigarette smoke. I just know all the trivia. I know all the beats. I know all the, you know, things that go into the sausage tube, as it were. Right. What never, ever changes for me is that Halloween cast its spell on me, and I am totally enraptured every single time I watch it. Um, what kind of dark magic is going on in Halloween? I mean, it's just... It's stalking and creep and slow burn, and I think those are the things that make a movie effective, especially... A slasher movie, which this is probably what next to Peeping Tom, like the second slasher movie, really. I feel like this was the big one that kicked off all of the '80s slashers, right? Because Peeping Tom happened earlier. Yeah, people were very scared. This is not okay. Psycho kind of did that too, and then this was the one that it was like boom. I felt like everyone was trying to make their Halloween. Halloween is after the this blueprint movie. for the 80s slasher film for sure like there's nothing about what's done in halloween that hasn't been redone in sometimes interesting ways most of the time terrible ways uh going up through the (laughs) how dare you (laughs) sorry i'm not a big chopping mall fan occasionally actually that movie's awesome but you know i was gonna say 
just wanted to. I just wanted to say. I just wanted to throw the word "chopping mall" out there. I mean, it's the, that phrase is just so great. One of the all-time great titles. Also, has nothing to do with what that movie. Not is. at all. Sorry, but that's neither here nor there. Either way, I just uh, wanted to I say "chopping mall." What I think works. Yeah. This is what I had discussed with you, right? You hear a lot of Freddy versus Jason, and Michael Myers feels left out a lot of the times, right? Mm-hmm. What is so different with Michael Myers is. Freddie and Jason are creatures of revenge, right? Evil begetting evil, right? Mm-hmm. Something happens to them. They're coming back as vengeful spirits. Michael Myers functions as a pure, a, a purely predatory built in function of yeah. our society, right? That this is an idyllic blonde child coming home from a night of trick or treating to a perfectly quiet suburban house. Again, let's just pause there. We're about to dissect the opening. This is one of the all-time greatest opening scenes in movie history. It is. I actually copied it for a student film in college. (laughs) Yeah, it does so much work, and it is fucking flawless in its execution. Except for, uh, I feel bad because Michael's older sister, the guy who goes upstairs to turn the lights off, he must have disrobed, busted almost immediately and put his clothes back on real quick to be running down the stairs as Michael has just walked around the back and gotten a knife. Like that bust must have been immediate. So not the not the last the last hurrah you want before you get stabbed to death by your kid brother. But what this is doing, right, is this is a perfect American dream Norman Rockwell house, right? Little house, uh, yard, front porch, decorations, Halloween night. You see the girl, right? She's getting a little frisky with her boyfriend, but yeah, it's, it's classic Americana shit. We see someone walk into that house, right? No breaking a window, just watching through the windows, walking in. That alone sets such a scary tone. And the thing that I've always read about this movie is this was John Carpenter not writing a movie about someone killing children. Mm-hmm. What Michael Myers is doing is killing the idea of the suburbs, Yes. Right. As is white middle class Americans were fleeing to these country areas. They call them white topias now, I think. Right. Like Ooh. people flee to these suburbs and just try to, you know. Right. Well, I mean, Haddonfield, Illinois is idyllic. Yes. It's absolutely beautiful. 1970s Americana. Like it's beautiful. 1970s. But it's like. It was be- it was truly beautiful in the 60s. In the 70s, it's still beautiful, but there's almost like a haze over it. And this is like, to me, this is the genius of John Carpenter in this movie, is that you can see the beauty of Americana, but it's almost too much now. Like, in the 70s, like, all the houses on that street to me are just too big. Like, it feels like the way I feel when I'm driving through a really, like, it's how, I, like, when I, I grew up in Ohio, like, the houses that were in the neighborhoods that like I lived in and other people lived in, I was like, these houses are way too big. Like nobody needs all this fucking space and all this room. Like this is ridiculous. <laughs> Why are we doing that? So it's like it feels this lived like Haddonfield, Illinois, particularly the street feels lived in. So it's everyone is complacent. It's not like oh look yeah. how beautiful our lives are. It's like yeah, of course our lives are beautiful. We're white and we're in the suburbs. Good for us. Like, but also these ho- these big houses become fortresses, right? Exactly. So this is supposed to be a this is up on top of our hill. Absolutely. You know, we're fine. We've made it. We're safe. So then we walk up, right? And the the boyfriend leaves after the fastest bust and does the Psh, yeah, I'll call you. I'm like, bitch, Lori Myers is not calling your ass. Like, are you kidding me? With that fucking super bust, 
walks upstairs and then here's the other voyeuristic thing right is that this these are two people that think they're having this like very brief intimate moment right uh walking upstairs your focus right? on the briefness is the best it, it really bothered me this time i was like fuck sakes dude at least like if you go that fast then like roll over and do some other work like that didn't do it for her i was like you selfish prick it really pissed me off i hope anyway, our female i hope our female listeners understand how my, how important this is i'm just saying the knife would have had to stab me first because i would have been working to get you there Male viewers, take note. Male listeners, take note. Do the work. Yeah. Take the knife. Get get them where they need to go. That's neither here nor there. So you walk in, and the guy, you know, someone grabs the mask, walks in, and here's this girl just naked, right? She's getting right. ready. Again, this is a violation of intimacy. This is a violation of the incest taboo. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of these kind of taboos that are getting busted in this moment. And she turns and is not scared. She's like, Michael, get out of here. Bam, bam, bam stab and again this is the other thing that this opening sets up is this isn't a big elaborate running around bleeding everywhere i mean there are boobs out right but it's not as gratuitous as like some you know tits flopping around whatever it the the boobs almost feel like they're there to remind us how this is so uncomfortable and shouldn't be happening right and then just a couple quick stabs and it's over right this movie's telling us that the deaths in this are so undramatic yes right they're dramatic to us because of what they symbolize not in their action right the hand right. casually walks downstairs a car casually pulls up parents mm -hmm. casually walk up in the moment when they disrobe or demask de this little perfect boy holding a bloody knife in a clown costume has made a mockery of everything that this idyllic neighborhood and house stands for i was like that is if you just showed that opening scene, that would be a horror classic for all time. Absolutely. It does every single thing that this movie is amazing at in a really condensed, power-packed visual opening. Yes. I mean, that is the ultimate... That's, like, truly the power of the movie in general is that it does such a good job of not over again like not overstating is like probably the only like the bet the key element of this movie and why it's sustained and why it's been become as classic as it is is because not overstating the premise is so important here because quite frankly it doesn't matter the menace of knowing like you have that opening scene and so the menace of knowing that at any time in this idyllic looking location that kind of shit can happen like, knowing that there's a seedy underbelly, it's that same thing you get from, like, movies like Blue Velvet. It's just like, mm -hmm. this is the first time I saw it, which is, like, not this movie, but, you know. But when you're younger, it's the first time you kind of see, like, oh, these giant monoliths to privilege and the ability to just walk around <laughs> my neighborhood without any bullshit. Like, not anymore. That, that's yeah. that, that's some fucked up shit. And then it's, when you it's fast different forward, than when you see the Hewitt's house in Texas Chainsaw and there's fucking bones on the strings everywhere. You yeah, know what obviously I mean? some like, fucked up shit's like, happened there. If you walk onto that property, of course you're going to be yeah. pork chops. Like you're that's on gonna you. You're going to die. There's no way you're <laughs> yeah. not going to survive it. But then like the best yes. part, and the thing that I really love is like you fast forward to uh, Halloween night, 1970, what is it, 76? I, I, ju I just watched both these movies and now like, the, uh, the it's a 78 I think um but you fast forward you get to you're getting to the present and 
that house, like the Myers house is like this husk. Like it's this eyesore. And I think that's the thing I love the most is like now that house feels like it doesn't belong. Like it's almost like yeah. it's been damaged to the point. Like it's been damaged by history, not even by people, just by history. So now it but, doesn't belong. Yes. And the extra crazy part is, but they won't tear it down. Right. Exactly. Because, because there's still a lot of economic value in that. You can't and the admit fact that, that you failed. Yes. And in the fact that uh, Strode Realtors are trying to fucking sell it, knowing what they know. That we don't really learn this until part two, so maybe. Right. But the fact that Mr. Strode's like, oh, I could make a buck where I picked up this baby girl. Hey, yo. And you're like, what the fuck? But that says a lot in and of itself, right? If there was a murder house in my neighborhood, granted, I would probably be like, that's fucking cool. That's something that's awesome. But most people in my neighborhood would be like, hey, maybe we should fucking bulldoze that. Right. And it would be hard to argue against that, right? Like, oh, that's just where, you know, this I mean, even nice that, upstanding citizen got destroyed. I mean, even that monster Jenny from Forrest Gump got her house bulldozed. I mean, there's like, <laughs> there's precedence for hey, it. <laughs> don't dare compare Michael Myers to Jenny. Jesus Christ. No, that's true. <laughs> Michael, Michael Myers is a damn pussycat comparatively. Yeah, Michael Myers would never be lurking in the shadows of Jenny's house for the love of God. No, uh, but that's that's what I mean, though, right? That is the thing I think the movie is the most successful, right? Yes. The opening does all of this stuff to disarm you and say, hey, all of these assumptions you're making, um, the inevitability of existing in a society with other humans is you're going to get got. Yeah. Because that within all of us, there is evil. Mm -hmm. And someday it might be your brother, might be your kid. It might be the neighbor kid. Someone is coming to kill you, and they're not going to look like a monster. Right. One of the things I think, too, that this movie, and again, that gets to my other point, is Michael doesn't look super horrifying, right? Like, when no. you see Jason, you're like, oh, this mutated, you know, monster. And once they get to the hockey mask, and especially later, you're like, oh, he's like a zombie. Uh, Freddy's this burnt child molester, child killer. Michael Myers just looks like a mechanic who bought a bad mask. Yeah. And he walks very slow and there's I mean, not a lot of wild exuberance. Right. Right. So it just makes him feel like he exists in the very fabric of Haddonfield. Right. Right. Some of the most successful shots. The girls walking home. Right. Classic Americana talking about school and dates and proms, uh, babysitting jobs. Every time the camera is not still. You're. You're like, oh, my God, we're watching their inevitable murderer watch them. Yeah. Even when the camera is still, it feels too far away. Yeah. We are stalking. We are trained to know that everything that b seems good in this town uh, is not, man. Even the scene that really got me when Michael drives the car, right, and he watches Tommy walk from the school. You're like, even the fucking people that drive by you in fucking lame-ass, you know, parent cars – could be the one that fucking murders you. And it's 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 insane, right? Like Michael is the ghost in the neighbor's laundry. Michael is the ghost outside of her school. Right. It just he is built into the fabric of Haddonfield. Well, I mean, I even go a step further. Like the scene that just I I can't believe I had forgotten about this. The scene that literally shook me was when they bully the kid that Lori's uh, the, yes. the little kid and Tommy, the yeah. bully gets like confronted, like he runs into Michael Myers and it's just like, it's a great, like 
it's a great uh audio it's a great audio splash and then you're just like uh is he gonna snap this little kid's neck in front of the school because that's like the end of the movie right there because if like a teacher sees that like hey that guy i think he's a problem but like to me (laughs) that is like the scariest moment above all is because that's the that's the closest anyone gets until the night when he starts whacking people but like yeah that is terrifying because he's selecting so now you know yeah. that he's choosing people specifically. But then on top of that, like to what the point you're talking about, he doesn't feel imposing. Like he's actually like a really thin guy in a janitor's outfit. Like that's yeah. it. And you're like, all right, yeah. well, couldn't be that dangerous, right? And then you get into <laughs> when he's actually murdering people and you're like, wow. And I, I kept going, <laughs> this time when I was watching, I kept going back to that scene. I was like, this thin man is just like otherworldly strong. It's very strange. Like, yeah, it's, again, but this, I mean, is, it, this is low key making him a monster, right? The lifting right. of the tombstone, uh, staking that dude to the door. You're like, these yep. are feats of a monster, right? But they're never played that way, no. right? That the kills are fast and aggressive, but not flamboyant, right? Like, and you don't see it from Michael. It just feels so. I mean, the iconic Michael Myers moment is him. Just tilting his head side to side, looking at what he did, like almost like he's even surprised that it just happened. Yeah. And that is, I think to get back to your point about the bully though, that is such an important scene. Yes. Because one of the things you notice this time is how much, so there is a state mental institution suburban or whatever those things are called, right? The station wagons. That's what they are. Driving around town. A guy gets out in a mechanic's outfit in a Halloween mask during the day. We see him out in public 10 times, 15 times. A lot. No like, one cares. But again, well, no, this he's, is... he's around bushes. He's in the whatever. But that's what I mean. The people of Haddonfield, even after what happened to Lori Meyer, cannot fathom right. that there could possibly be a danger in their midst to where when you see that guy, if, if a guy walked in our neighborhood right now and was wearing a mask, and just parking in our neighborhood, you would see eight moms come running out with, you know, fucking all kinds of weaponry. Yeah. Like, we have to kill him, no matter what he is. Haddonfield, but that that's a low-key. Haddonfield cannot even fathom that it could happen once, let alone again. I would actually say it goes a little further than that. I, I would say okay. that Haddonfield is almost more of a villain than Michael Myers in this movie, because... What Haddonfield <laughs> decides to do is not that they can't conceive of something like that happening. It's that they choose to ignore it. That's why they're trying to sell the house, not bulldoze it. Because yeah. if you're just selling a house, nothing bad happened to that house. If you're bulldozing a house, something fucked up happened to that house. That's just, I mean, look, I ha- I'm not a homeowner and I don't. Bu- I haven't even been able to think about buying a house in my life. But I certainly know that if there's just a plot of land that used to have a house on it, Something terrible probably happened. I don't know. I mean, why would you knock down a perfectly good house? The problem is, is that Haddonfield residents choose not to address that level of evil because if they do, it's admitting that something is wrong in Haddonfield, Illinois, USA. And that's not that's the whole point. That's like Carpenter's thesis, in my opinion, for Halloween in general, is that everything's not all right. The kids are not all right. If you're actually going to pay attention, you're running into a big, big, big problem by not by just ignoring the problem. If you're just going to ignore and sell the problem and kick the can down the road, then the past obviously will come back to not just haunt you, but literally stab you into a wall. And that's like 
that's the that's what Halloween is. Halloween is the thesis that suburbia is never safe. We just all thought yeah. it was. And not only suburbia, but nowhere is safe, right? Because we put Michael in an asylum. It's right. one of the all. It's the moment that I think Halloween all the way solidified for me as a kid, where I was like, "Oh fuck!" Was that scene where they're driving up? And Loomis is just being a prick, like always, right? Like a classic Loomis introduction, like, shut up and drive, bitch. I'm going to Shakespeare monologue on behalf. <laughs> right. Right? She drives up, and there are just people in the rain, in the headlights, right? And what it lets you know is you think you put these things away. 150 miles away from Haddonfield, you think you put these things away. Right. But they'll always seep out. They'll always come out. Yeah. They'll always find their way back, right? And that, that scene of... The Michael getting in the car and pulling her out and just driving away and Loomis and, you know, this this doctor who has this kind of, you know, air of authority. It just it's haunting right away because we also hear Loomis start to do his he has a real monologue Shakespeare Ahab thing, you know, like he's not a boy. There's nothing behind those eyes. He's evil. Yeah. Right. And it's you're like, oh, this is awesome. Like I could listen to Donald Pleasant's like, can you just read menus to me? Right. Like this turkey sandwich. The stuffing is evilly delicious, right? You're like, all right, I'd buy that, right? And uh, But he's he's going through it, and you're just like, fuck, they can't stop him. He's coming. It's inevitable. Then we cut to Lori hearing about fate in class, and Michael Myers is out there, right? And he Was he or was he not? Did he drive away? These are things that part two kind of elaborates on that maybe there is more going on. But it's just that that inevitability of Michael Myers becomes the scariest. So at the end of the movie, when Laurie journeys into the house and she sees her friends splayed out, right? Her first reaction is not to run out of the house. It is to hold her mouth shocked by what she's seen. Right. So even she is still not fully grasping that she's in danger and probably the shot of the movie is Michael's face slowly dissolving in from the black, right? That, that mask starting to catch the light and appearing behind Lori. Right. And then, you know, that fight begins, right? But that moment of he's always there, he's everywhere, right? All the voyeuristic stuff that happens in the movie. That is the effect is that no matter what you're doing or when you're doing it, that could be fucking it. Right. I mean, that is, I mean, again, this is the penalty for, it's the penalty that everyone in Haddonfield, and I mean, obviously we find out later, Lori specifically, uh, <laughs> but it's the penalty that the burden that suburbia carries is like, there's no way you're going to avoid this. Like, it yeah. has to happen this way. It has to happen yeah. this way so that you learn to address those kinds of things. And again, like, once you get further into the series, it gets a little more wonky and a little different but nevertheless it still is <laughs> entertaining but i mean mm. the omnipresence of michael myers is the thing that makes him scary it's not that he's a jump scare guy granted that happens and like there are but not the way that we're used to that i think that's the thing that halloween does so well is not give us those typical jump scares like i jump mm. myself watching it i don't need a yeah. audio sting or anything like that to tell me it's a scary moment and i think that's kind of the fascinating thing between this one and Halloween two is like, there's more of that in Halloween two. And it does kind of take the piss out of Michael Myers a little bit. He's already scary. He's a literally a looming presence who just walks. He never runs. That's terrifying. 
He never runs, but he always gets his man. That's fucked up. Yeah. It's, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Michael in this movie because I think it is crazy because that's, we spend all this time with Loomis and he's dehumanizing Michael, right? Right. So the little boy we saw is like, there's nothing behind his eyes. There's evil. He's, you know, when Michael Dreze, the evil is gone from y'all. And what we're learning is we're dehumanizing Michael. We're pulling him away as if he's not one of us, right? He is this, like, dark cloud. Right. I think there are really weird. And we see, like, he kills a mechanic. He kills, you know, some other people along the way. Right. I think there is a really strangely human part of Michael Myers in this film that gets overlooked, right? The going and getting the tombstone so that later he can just lay that as part of a staging ceremony is very strange to me. Um, The not killing... The bully when he finds him there are a lot of moments where michael feels really human like a really interesting one this time was when the girls are like speed kills and he slams on the fucking brakes yeah he is having a human reaction in that moment and then he drives away he's like oh yeah i gotta drive creepily (laughs) right what did you make of the human element of michael myers this in this film right because i think a lot of it is He's the shape. He's the inevitability. I think maybe one of the things that works is the that human subtext. I mean, to me, the slamming on the brakes is I, I feel like the slamming on the brakes is less about the human, the humanity of like, well, maybe it is, I guess. Humans are terrible, uh, as we've learned. <laughs> I feel like Michael Myers slamming on the brakes to me is like, oh, fuck, he's going to, like, let it out. Like, that's, like, the animal living inside him. And then driving away creepily is less about, like, oh, he's a creep, but more just, like, I'm good. I'm going to wait. I'm going to bide my time. I'm going to wait until it's the right moment. Like, I think that's, again, and Michael Myers isn't that kind of, like, methodical killer, I guess. Like, he's just a force to be reckoned with a lot of the time. But... I think ultimately slamming on the brakes. Cause I thought about that too. I'm like, why does he do that? Like, that seems like such a to air is human type thing. And the whole point of Michael Myers is he's kind of not human almost. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, to me, I was just like, that's gotta be the moment where he contemplates like, should I just kill these bitches now? Is that, what's, is that, what's, is that yeah. what's about to happen? Well, even the, it, it struck me as so unusual this time, even is just him stalking Lori through that town. Right. He sees her at the Myers house when she's forced to drop off paperwork at the house where her whole family slaughtered. And granted, that could be a sequel thing. <laughs> but he watches her and then he walks out onto the street from this murder house and his shoulders in the foreground as Lori walks away, never turning around, completely oblivious. Right. Right. Beautiful visual note. But Michael coming out into the light is very strange. This is a guy on the run here to complete a mission. Right. Right. Why not just stay in the house and get ready? There is this extra lustfulness of it, right? Mm -hmm. And it adds a scariness to him that he just wants to watch her through a school window. Yeah. He wants to just see her walking with her friends. He cannot wait, right? There is this extra. I mean, that that is a very human thing to just lust and be like, I got to go now. I want it now. I can't wait. I can't wait. I want to see it. That is something that never really jumps out at me all the time when I watch these movies. Because, again, I think of him as the shape, right? The par- the price we pay for imp- complacency, right, right in society. Right. I think Michael, though, is is this 
creature of needs in this one in a strange creature way. of needs seems a little much i don't know if i would go with creature of needs creature of needs seems like there's any humanity left in michael myers and i don't feel that i feel like he has drive and purpose but a need is not necessarily how i'd put it i guess but drive and purpose is probably the way i'd put it i guess it's the same thing as need but I don't know. But see, that's that's what I mean, though. I, I don't think it is, right? Like, getting the car, getting the mechanic suit, getting to Michael Myers' old crib, all that seems like a, I'm completing steps, right? Right. Watching Lori when she's in school and not charging in and killing her. Watching her from the old man's laundry lines and not going in and killing her. That is something different. That's what I think is weird, is... Michael is often seen as this unstoppable force, right? I am. He's, it's almost like the ghost and it follows, right? Like, I'm always coming, you know, because you came, I'm always coming. But now, in this one, Michael stops. He stops often, right? Yeah. He stops off to get a mask. He stops off. So there's a, a ritualisticness to it, right? Where it feels like it. part of it is just wanting to recreate his old crime, right? He needs the mask. He needs the Judith Myers headstone. But that in and of itself is not a drive. When he's in the old man's backyard and he sees Lori home alone, why not go get her? I mean, be, again, that is the need to me. I mean, I feel like that has more to do with ritual and again, like it's the it's the lack of passion in the kills. I think that's the thing that's always the scariest yeah. for me is like all of that sort of convalesces into one general concept for me which is that michael myers is this creature of michael myers is a creature of like singular drive like he wants to catch he wants to get Lori, but he wants to get Lori the way he wants to get Lori. like it's not a need it's a i mean i don't know i could be wrong but like the car stopping to me that's like the passion flare up and it's the only time we actually see any sort of emotional reaction right. <laughs> it's the thing that loomis told us did not exist right loomis said there's nothing left there right that he is essentially this you know pure evil murder machine i think we see examples of more right i think there there huh. is more to him in those couple moments just that, that moment, i find though but that's what i mean there's just a couple small ones right like Michael following Lori out to the street after he sees her through the front door of the Myers window and just watching her. Right. Just watching her and her friends walk around the school. Uh, not killing the bully, right? It's in his way as he wants to hunt Tom. Like, there are just these moments that, to me, I always thought, and it's weird, too, because a lot of that for Michael is happening in broad fucking daylight, right? Which doesn't make sense on a, if you're trying to just complete your mission, don't fucking be seen. Yeah. Right? Don't be fucking seen. <laughs> but I think that is that's where we see that there's something more going on with Michael than because I think in the Rob Zombie one, they describe it. His eyes are like that of a great white shark, right? He's the ultimate hunting killing machine. You're like, but he's not. No. He's not. The great white shark isn't just like creeping on the tuna, mm -hmm. talking about which other tuna they're gonna bang that night, you know? Like right. that's not what a great white shark does. There no, is not. this extra and what it does is I think it's so funny because Loomis constantly tries to deify him. Mm -hmm. The movie and his actions are showing us, no, 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 no. This, this is just one of you, right? This is just one of you, uh, you know, and who has turned. Right. And I think that's an important thing the first one has 
that we never see again in the rest of uh, Halloween. No, I agree. I mean, Maybe we do. I got to rewatch the rest. But it feels like yeah. this is the last time there's like a modicum of something else going on. With I them. mean, that's the only time. I mean, yeah, I have to probably watch the rest of them. But I mean, that is such a huge. But for being in the first one, though, where we're getting this, like, the framework we have is that he's just this sense. It's not mindless. He just has no sense of right. He, the only thing he cares about is him, like the kill. So mm-hmm. Loomis sets this up as like he's just uh, he's a machine of evil. Like it's just nonstop. It's it's like Terminator. It's a Terminator like thing. And we get all we get there. We get the whole way through. We understand that. And then to get that is such a strange beat because does feel it feels so much more human than it's supposed to i think so much more human than it's Mm. supposed to like to a almost uncomfortable like almost a oh are we about to give up the ghost here like that that almost feels like it it gets interesting because like we were talking about it it almost feels like a mistake like it almost feels like based on the oeuvre of halloween movies it's like the mistake john carpenter made trying to make him relatable almost like oh well yeah, but see to me that's what separates Halloween one out from the other Halloweens, is because once you turn him into the unstoppable superpower killing machine, right. he becomes, uh you know Jason he becomes all of these other faceless things. Right. When you make him one of us who just put on a mask that still looks very human, that is what made Michael Myers sing man, and that that to me is what's different. Like there are moments when. Because that's why I kept wondering. I'm like, what is triggering him to kill these people and why? Like, why does he kill, uh, you know, the goofball in the glasses who's just going down to get beer after getting laid? Why kill that guy, right? Why is he selecting then? Why is he killing the girl across the street? He could have killed her when she was stuck. You know, she did the classic 2020 internet. Oh, I'm stuck. Oh, don't stepbrother me. She's stuck in the laundry room, right? Michael Myers could have run in and got her right there. Why didn't he? Wow, we see him fucking murder a dog too. I forgot about I forgot about the dog Ugh. murder. It hurts me every time going against our values, but <laughs> You know what's interesting? But that's what though, I mean. And- why why is he picking when he kills and why? Like here's a here's a really interest. Here's an interesting one for you. Right? This is a really weird Michael Myers moment. Cuz this is the thing. Why does he start just killing and not being selective after? Is it just an after dark thing that doesn't add up? No, I mean to me when he when, mean, but, 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 is... but, when he shows up as the ghost, right? When Michael Myers kills a guy by taking him to the door, and he says, "Wait a sec, this guy smells like getting it." All I got to do is find a mask, put his glasses on, and go do some uh, silent comedy shtick. Yes. You know what I mean? It was definitely that a... scene yeah. changes again. That is not killing machine. No. That is so sadistic it has to be human right and that that's is, the scene that really leaps off the screen this time you're like what the fuck well is he doing in the ghost well here's here's the thing that always sticks with me about that is like because she's the one that he like basically eulogizes by putting the tombstone on her bed no no no, no that's different the one who's on the bed is the girl he chokes out in the car it that's is? annie the girl he kills who says, see anything you like? Yeah. And he murders her, you know, choking on the phone. And Lori Strode thinks she's just pre- pretending to have an orgasm. She gets stuffed in a towel 
closet. Oh, fuck. You're right. God damn it. So that's oh. what I mean. It's even a different. Okay. Yeah, you're right. This doesn't even make sense now because I almost had it. And okay, here's if I'm being like, if I'm being honest, like based on what I see in movies and stuff, the reason that they're the reason this is happening is because nobody knew. I mean, in the arc of the Halloween story, obviously, it's weird. Like within the arc of getting this movie done, it's kills every 10 pages. So, you know, that's like the whole thing. Like, it's literally like, well, we got to kill these. Don't real world ki- me, bro. What's Don't that? Don't real world me, though. Don't that, real world me. Right. I'm, I'm Let's try- look at this as an actual right, choice. I'm, I'm Michael trying is not a character to. Because made. honestly, like, because to, to me, like, the first thing I think is like, well, because you got to kill characters in a horror movie. Um, <laughs> but he Mike- looks so much less cool. From the Michael Myers like, perspective. Satanic mechanic. From yes. the Michael Myers perspective, this is. Hmm. Well, it's interesting because I think about like, you know, we wrote a horror movie and like we talk a lot about when we were working on it. We talked a lot about the final set piece, like the final location where all this shit's going to go down, you know. And so maybe what it is, is Michael Myers setting the stage for Laurie, his sister, to relive the relive the trauma that he had to go through, relive something that she didn't necessarily she doesn't remember but also relive something that maybe she, he thinks she should it's almost like it's almost like this sort of weird convalescence of like it's not Oedipal, but like whatever it is when you want to fuck your sister like that kind of thing like it's this weird <laughs> it's sort of this like jealousy mixed with weird psychosexual uh depravity and then the like inability for someone to move on from a singular moment in their life. Like this moment when Michael was a kid where he decided to become this version of himself, like whatever version that is, man, it could be, uh, as we find out in Halloween too, it could be uh, an occult thing. Never know. Um, but that to me, but that to me ultimately is kind of what it is, is Michael's setting the scene. He wants there's there like that in that sense, I would say that's very human. Michael Myers wants to set the scene for Laurie to say, look what you missed, sis. And then he wants yeah, to fucking kill her. That's the weird thing is why, why? Cause he, he wouldn't have gleaned enough information on Laurie yet. And again, I'm trying not to retroactively put the whole Myers Strode family tree onto this movie when it probably did not exist. Right? No, it did not. So, the thing that I kept thinking, right? So there, there's an original sin aspect to Michael's first kill of his sister, right? right? The, oh, she was, you know, playing with the serpent for three and a half seconds. So, you know, I'll give her an apple. I'll teach her. And then he's kicked out of Eden. And now we, you know, are at Haddonfield and have Loomis and all the bad things in the world. There's, I don't understand, because this is one of the movies, too. This set the stage for something that is so commonplace now in slashers that I don't think we stop to be like, that is so fucked up the murdering itself is fucked up the staging the bodies is super fucked up right because that means there's a scene where michael myers spent 15 minutes carrying that girl from the car where he killed her up to the bed putting the tombstone there that wasn't there yeah, how about all the time he spent digging up that fucking tombstone man jesus yeah, christ not, i mean even if he just world's strongest man did like that's a lot of work i mean and that's at he's, least he's just hanging a dude upside down right like predator 
You're like, I mean, there is at least two hours of work that Michael Myers had to oh, do. Oh, far more. You know what? That's probably that, why. That's probably why he started at night. He spent the entire afternoon unearthing that tombstone. <laughs> that's what. That's what it but was. That's what I mean. That is. That is so extra sadistic and scary, right? Right. That is that not only now are you dead, it's another taboo they break. That not only are am I killing innocent young people or whatever, but now I am desecrating and playing with their bodies. Which gets back to this, Michael is the most human in this one, I feel like. Yeah. This is, um, but the setting it up to where the tombstone says Laurie Strode is almost that anyone who is coming into adulthood and losing their innocence becomes Michael's plaything. It's that I couldn't quite settle on the the playing with the bodies is and again, I just I don't think we we ponder it enough because now it is so second place. We've seen, you know, Jason Voorhees string up five hundred bodies, it feels <laughs> right. like. You know, Freddy Krueger literally plays with him as puppets. Everyone does it now. That I don't think we stop and be like, what does that mean though? Before that was in every movie. What are they telling us about Michael Myers that he is setting up this fucking scene? Right. Right. And then not only that, that when Laurie sees it, he's got her dead to rights. And all he does is get a little scratch on her arm. Right. There is almost a level of now he's playing with her. Sure. So maybe that's your theory is that this all is just a game. But that's what. Well, I think that's what I know you don't want to like use the what seems to be like this really probably one of the greater retcons in, in in cinema history, but (laughs) it's the only way you can explain what happens in this movie by not real word, real worlding it and like deciding like, Oh, well it's a horror movie. So you got to kill a bunch of people. Like it's a stunning addition to the mythology. It is, but it's like that, that, that addition and retroactively watching the movie with that lens is the only way that you can kind of explain why Lori is sort of this survivor in a lot of ways. It's not saying it's her. That's how she survives. And that's why she's the final girl. What I'm saying is like, uh, cause Lori Strode's amazing in her own right. What I'd say though, is that if not you take, in this movie though, which no, is funny, but like if you retroactively look at the first Halloween, knowing that Lori Strode is Michael's sister and that kind of stuff, the meaning of those deaths do take on, like that's how you explain why there's all this sort of pageantry going on because of Michael Myers again, like you said, is such like Loomis says is like he is a mindless killing machine. Like if it's like this whole thing, obviously doesn't say he's mindless, but like if he just says he's pure evil, okay, cool. That explains like why I should be scared of him, but it doesn't explain yeah. any of the things he decides to do. I mean, right? If but I, that's what I mean. You expect me? He's staging all of these naked teenage bodies and doing all this extra work, and there's no JOing, no sexual component. Like that's impossible. I don't know. Like, the ha- the Haddonfield police creepy... are ritualistically terrible, so they're very well could be. There's no CSI. Sure. Absolutely. So. But what I'm saying is, is that we have entered a level that is so very human, right? That it just strikes me as different. It's funny because this whole thing with Michael and him only being injured by the tiniest of instruments, right? Like ah, a sewing needle, ah, a hanger, right? Yeah. Until he just gets shot a bunch, which is not ideal. Um, <laughs> but it, I think what it does is it just totally, until that last scene, Michael is mythologized and then made small and normal. I mean, I guess not. That's not the way to put it. But you know what I mean? He does seem like when well, he gets stabbed with a hanger, you're like, come on. Yeah, well, that's like the thing is like you, and again, (laughs) 
so many things in this movie happen that you sort of can explain away by the real world problems of making a three thousand three hundred thousand dollar movie. But what? That's a niche niche. We don't use real world logic. In <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. Like, again, you could do that. And that explains away yeah. a lot of the movie. But a that's absolutely not what we do on this pod. <laughs> right. But also, like, why would you want to do that when you have such a great history it's and such fun. a great arc in general especially when you get to watch it knowing that Lori is his fucking sister like toying with her in that way and like saying like okay if she put a needle in his neck first off we never see any blood which is fascinating to me but then the other thing is like yeah i've never understood the hanger to the eye like all of it just seems sort of like <laughs> like it's like one of those uh it's like that family guy joke when meg gets scratch scratches a guy and goes wow yeah, it hurts a little bit. That's a mild inconvenience. But I would say it's one of the only like actual smart things that final girls do is like, of course, aim for the fucking eye. Don't stab him in his giant right. muscle bound chest. I'm not saying that so it's not a great idea. It it's just weird. It's it's so strange, though, that it feels like neither of them are going for a killing blow. No. Right. Like she runs in and just hides by a. That is something that struck me this time. Right. But I think that's why Lori's the not transition a away to Lori is. Laurie Strode has become, we talked about this when we did Scream, is that she has become the iconic final girl. Right. I was stunned going back in how fucking useless Laurie Strode is for two movies. Well, in Halloween 1, she does essentially nothing. She walks to her friend's house. She's a good, like, babysitter. That's all we know about her. Yeah. She's a good babysitter who smokes pot. And then she runs to the house. Help, help. She stabs him in the eye once, stabs him in the neck once, and then just sits in a corner while Loomis shoots. The second movie, they literally just drug her so she does not participate in the whole fucking movie, which is real weird decision making. So it's not until essentially Halloween 6, 7, 8, where like we start really getting into this, ah, oh, Lori is a bad motherfucker because she's the old lady in H2O. Right. And it's so strange to see the written... I think Sid Prescott jumps the ranks. I think she's the best final girl ever. But it's it's so unusual that I remembered Lori being more of a proactive badass in this one. I mean, it's not even... like The thing that I remember always is that Lori saved the kids. Like, that is... And, she did save the kids. That's and a I mean, good point. To be fair, like, there's a... I don't know. Based on the rest of the movie, there's like a 80% chance Michael Myers probably wouldn't have killed the kids anyways. But well, you could argue that by running to the door and banging on it, uh, she's telling Mark Michael where like ringing the dinner bell, where the right? Fucking like kids she could have just yeah. ran down the fucking street and drove. But I mean, away. I think that's what makes Laurie Strode a hero in the first one and the real final girls, because she does what a babysitter does. She protects the children. And that is what you're supposed to do. That's what we, that's what we applaud her for in the movie is not for uh, what? Like not for stabbing, like not for scratching Michael Myers. eye. we applaud her. <laughs> we have contact. Yeah. We applaud her because she has like having nearly been killed multiple times throughout the movie. I mean, well, kind of, I don't know. Obviously now it's like, once you look at back, she you're like get fucking thrown down some stairs. That's a, that's a nasty. Yeah. That wasn't great, but she still had the wherewithal to save the kids. And that to me is like, that's why she's a great hero in this. I thought of another weird moment from Michael Myers. <laughs> so he gets Lori trapped in the house. He stages all these bodies and he's like, Oh, I have to secure this all glass kitchen door. Perhaps I'll prop a broom against it. I was like, Michael's playing some fucking games here, dude. Yeah. Michael is playing children's games. There, 
Um, I, I don't know. I, I felt weird because I thought I remembered Lori being like the ultimate final girl badass. I forgot how much that was also kind of written. Halloween does a lot of that writing things into the previous movies really well. Yeah. There is a scene with Lori, though. The most haunting scene with Lori to me is when she's running out of that house the first time. And she's just screaming. One of the things this movie does is how empty this fucking town is. Right. On Halloween night. Yeah. Right? People should be out trick-or-treating, this and that, celebrate. When she goes and she's screaming in the middle of that quiet street, banging on the neighbor's door, no one even acknowledges that she is in a life-and-death battle. And that became extra fucking fucking scary oh no that is exactly what i was talking about at the beginning of the pod man haddonfield illinois is implicit in the deaths of all these people because again (laughs) it's it's violating the value of idea of ideal suburbia it's violating by by allowing laurie strode to run around screaming bang on doors and if you invite her in by by allowing that what you're doing is you're violating the trust, the public trust you have with everyone, one of your neighbors. Where it's like nothing bad's happening here. It's fine. I'm gonna go inside and beat my wife, but nevertheless, <laughs> nothing bad's happening here. <laughs> no, that's just the ew. Don't open the door. Problems will come in. Right. It's no, just like exactly not our fucking fault. Yeah. Get it off of our yard. It's that. Yeah. <laughs> it's that same thing. The um um the woman who in New uh, it's that exact same the social study, uh, the um, the woman who was murdered in New York and absolutely nobody would go outside their apartment even though they heard her being murdered. It's the same thing, though. It's the same thing on a suburban scale because suburbia is meant to be not... <laughs> not my fucking problem. Not the place that that happens. <laughs> but this is what's great, and this is why Lori is a great final girl. She might not be the Sid Prescott, but Lori Strode... Sid stood on Lori's shoulders, though. True, but like Lori can't get help, so she immediately runs back. She takes care of the kids, and she fucking... She, you know, does whatever... Like, you know, she does she's she's catnip she knows she's the catnip so she lures michael in to take him out like she sacrifices herself and that's what makes her a heroic and that's what makes her a great final girl but i mean ultimately again the critique on suburban america in my opinion is like the thing that i love the most about watching this yeah this time because when i'm a kid i'm not paying attention like that i'm just like no. oh fucking cool like babysitter yeah. stalker now i'm watching it and like <laughs> God, dude, fucking white people are the worst. Like, all these fucking whites just sitting inside I'll their house. I'll tell you who the fucking worst is now that we're on the subject. <laughs> Dr. Loomis is the fucking worst. Because he's always been my favorite character, maybe in all of horror movies. It's Donald Pleasance as Dr. Loomis is just the best, right? Yeah. The deliveries, the pontification. It never dawned on me until this very viewing. Man, that guy fucking sucks. Like, could you imagine? I thought of it this way, right? So we meet Dr. Loomis. He's just driving with this nurse who's just doing her job. And he is just essentially calling her a dumb fuck right to her face. Yes. And he's like, please shut the fuck up and drive, you fucking horrible twit. Right? (laughs) Michael Myers (laughs) escapes. The next thing we see, this one got me. I never noticed this before, but it fucking cracked me up. So Loomis comes out. He's like, I've been screaming at you for 15 years. And you're like, oh, my God. Imagine working with Loomis. He has the best patient who's never made a sound, never had a violation. Just a kid who's like not there. And Loomis every day is like, look at his eyes. You're like, Loomis is probably running around fucking spouting nonsense. You're like, dude, can I just warm up my fucking Pop-Tarts? I got a 15-minute break here before I go back into, you know, fucking nonsenseville. Leave me alone. (laughs) So you're like, one, he's a terrible coworker. 
He's always telling the management, you know, that he needs more and he's got the best case there. When he walks out to get in the car, he's fucking parked poorly, might I add, in a fucking handicap spot. Dick. <laughs> he fucking parked his car in the fucking handicap spot. And don't give me that. He was too busy and in a hurry. There's a non-handicapped spot right There's next to it. plenty of spaces, motherfucker. You park in the non He's like, I'm Dr. Loomis. You're all handicaps to me. And he just pulls into the spot, right? And I was like, what a piece of shit. Then he goes to the town. And what's he start doing? Just, listen here, small town yokels. I'll order the police around. I'll wave my gun around. I like, Actually, the one, that I, the one that I guy. forgot about that I... <laughs> I just, it's such a small moment, but I fucking died laughing. I was like, what a fucking dickhead. Like, why are you doing that? Just walk right up. Like when the kids walk up to the Myers house and he's like, hey, Lonnie, like walk up to those. He's like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> like, why are you trying to see like Michaels? He's like, this is pretty fun. I guess. And then you're sitting like, ooh, Loomis, look at him throwing his voice. Quite the ventriloquist, this guy. <laughs> he's like, it's one of my mini, mini skills that I have not been appreciated for. But I was just like. Everyone he talks to, he's such he's a fucking such a prick. fucking down talker, man. I hated it. And it it never dawned on me because I was just like, look at this cool, smarter than everyone doctor who's just going right. out hunting evil. To me, when I was a kid, he's Van Helsing. Right now, you're like, fuck. I know that guy. I fucking worked with but that like, guy. Lewis and that also guy has the, the same. Like he, he's that guy that we all work with who says the same thing over and over again. Like it's never like. Like, yeah, we get it. He's evil. Come on. Like, get away from the microwave. I got to pop my popcorn. Like, I get it. Like, but that's what I mean. Now, when you're older, Loomis changes in a big way. Yeah, definitely. We're like, I would just fucking punch Loomis and be like, I hope he kills 50 teenagers and I hope they hang them all on you. You fucking suck. I'm gonna, Don't ever talk to me. Actually, and then like, what I'm going to tell everyone that about you're fucking two. Michael Myers if you're not careful, yeah. man. <laughs> that's right. You did it, you old motherfucker. You're in the Shatner mask. In the second one, Loomis's bad behavior just gets fucking elevated to 20. Oh, my God, dude. I guess you could say he's in the – but that's what – the Ahabness really comes through now that he is just pursuing this – it's almost as if it's his wet dream. There, there's a part of this movie where you're like, fuck, Loomis is so happy that this happened. Oh, yeah. Because now he gets to run around and talk down to lowly, drunkard uh, – <laughs> Because there's this guy, the scene that really is funny, too, is when he's uh, with the gravedigger. Oh, yeah. And the guy's telling this interesting story about a murder in the town. And it sounds very Amityville, right? Yeah. He took a sandwich, and then he's going to go kill. And Loomis just like, where is it, bumpkin? Enough of your spoutings. I'll be doing the monologue storytelling about <laughs> evil here. But I was just like, <laughs> it so dawned on me that Loomis is the fucking worst. Yeah. But then that you get him for that amazing last moment, right? Where uh, he shoots Mike. Michael's been unmasked for a half a second. He shoots Michael. Michael's standing there in the doorway, not even running, right? You know, this inevitable beast. He shoots him. And when he looks over the railing, there's this, I fucking knew it. It reminds me of the scene in Angels in the Outfield when the first angel happens at Joseph Gordon-Levitt's like, I knew it. It is great to be an orphan in Anaheim. Right? When Loomis is just like, thank God he got up. I knew he was an inhuman monster. Yeah. Right? And Laurie does the, was that the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. But Loomis looks happy. Oh, yeah. I think Loomis is fucking Oh, he's torqued. positively torqued too messy with happened. the fact that Michael Myers <laughs> escaped. Yeah. Who threw more seed around Haddonfield? <laughs> fucking Pleasant's talking about his monologues. 
or Michael Myers doing whatever staging those bodies. Like a lot of seeds being sprayed willy-nilly around town. <laughs> but <laughs> it just dawned on me how different these characters are as I've yeah. hit my mid-30s. Oh, dude, now. I, like, I feel like everybody... Michael, Loomis, and Laurie have all shifted for me in big ways. And again, I think that's an element that so few of the slashers that came after this have, right? Yeah. Like this movie... I think that's the beauty, right? You've talked about it several times, me too, that the assault on the safety of the American dream, right? But I think that becomes this really fertile ground where now what we learn, right? Like a small scene like the mask store, right? That alarm bell must have been ringing for almost 20 hours in a row, right? Michael presumably did that before they opened business. And then that shit... Uh, is still ringing after school on the way to babysitting, which is like 6 p.m. It's like, that's a long time for that bell to be ringing. Oh, your security doesn't work. You know what I mean? They're letting us know everything in this movie. So then every character must also be looked at that way. Everything we're seeing is some kind of a lie. And I think that's the... Michael is the shape is amazing and perfect. And the slow... Again, like you said, him choking Annie in the car, it's not this... Ah, smashing her around it's just so matter of fact stabbing the man up against the the shades choking out um you know the girl with the things that we like the things that we see we like it's all just this was gonna happen anyways right michael becomes yeah. this inevitable reaper and it again i know i talked a lot about his human side too but i think he works in both ways really well but to me it's just i Everything about it's iconic from the pumpkin to the fucking pitch perfect music Mm -hmm. to the voyeuristic camera to Michael being this fucking where's Waldo of murder in Haddonfield. I I just watched it tonight and I was like, there's just not a fucking frame of this that doesn't work. And I swear to God, I've seen this movie 20, 25 times now. It always works. I mean, it's just it's an all timer, man. And there's a reason it's an all timer, which is because every piece of it works like even if you watch it as a standalone without knowing anything that like Laurie Strode's Michael's sister, any of that, even watching is it a sta- it as a standalone is just that good, man. Like it's it's the part of it that's so pleasant and so rewatchable is that I always can watch it simply because it's int- it's always entertaining in the be- yeah. in the best ways. Like yeah, like look, I'm not a huge fan of people crossing their eyes as they're being strangled, and I think it's kind of corny. But at the same time, like. It's still terrifying. It scares the fucking shit out Don't of me. Don't judge a person's face as they're dying. You wanted them to do better bit comedy? <laughs> She's like, oh, what did I workshop in improv class last Dude, week? He f- Holy- I, Holy- I, honestly, like, and it's weird. It never really bothered me before, but this time, like, <laughs> Annie and uh, what's the other girl? What's the other friend's name? Uh, fuck. Either way. God damn it. When, when, PJ, I think. When, when, when he opens the clo- when she opens the closet and she sees a friend and she's like like oh my eyes are cross gill like that thing i was like oh you bastard i was just like like this is the first time i've ever noticed it like that where i'm like oh that's like kind of corny but i'm also still die sexier what's wrong with you sorry <laughs> that's such a <laughs> that's such a weird thing to I've, again like i've on. never fucking cared and then this one time i was just like oh why are their eyes crossed like there's like <laughs> you wanted to <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <it's like laughs> doing a newman slide whistle 
I think you can have any look on your face when you die that you want. Um, the one thing I know for sure is that Halloween will never die for us. This is our first in our seer in our uh, long sojourn to complete every Halloween movie on top of Phil every day this October with the horror movie. So be- come back tomorrow. We'll be discussing Halloween too. This is where Michael becomes more, right? This is Loomis at a fucking sailor pub spinning his oh yarn of God. yarn of horror. This is like beast. Donald Pleasant should have been in the lighthouse. Had he been had he had he be would he, would he still be alive? He would have been Michael, tell me you like me lobster. You said you like me lobster. <laughs> He's just like, Michael, your goddamn farts. Your farts, Michael. Yeah, that is the the Halloween tuness. Um it does almost everything differently than Halloween one, but I would argue for a sequel, it does everything it needs to do. So that's tomorrow. Uh, again, find all the horror movies we've already discussed and subscribe so you'll get all the horror movies coming. You can uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Nerd Alchemist, plural with an S at the end. Email the show at uh, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. We're on all the socials you're on, so find us there. And please take a second and leave us a rating and review wherever you find the pod, especially if that happens to be Apple Podcast app. Uh... We'll be seeing you soon. Back to Haddonfield Memorial Hospital for Halloween 2. For the film Alchemist, I'm Josh. I'm Alex Dandino.